You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Good morning, New Heights. You can have a seat. This morning, we have a special guest bringing the word to us. Logan Tennell is an aspiring church planner. He is seeking to plant a church in Summersville over in Nicholas County. And at New Heights, you know, one of our core values is leadership development. And we love giving young men the opportunity to, to get in the pulpit and be able to bring the word and to be able to work on their skills as a pastor. So looking forward to the word that Logan is bringing this morning. He's going to continue us in our sermon series, The Unseen King and Esther. If you have one of the journals, you can open it up. If you have your Bible, you can open up with me or read on the screen. Scripture reading this morning is going to be the first 11 verses. In verse 1, it starts and says, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's units who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of their king's gates, and Mordecai told them all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews." Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the gold scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. Let me pray over Logan. God, I pray this morning as Logan brings the word that God, he is hidden behind the cross and that, that the words that he preaches bring you glory and bring you praise. God, I pray that the words in this text don't lie lightly on the hearts of your people, on the saints of New Heights Church the saints of your universal church. God, I pray that today it stirs something inside of someone and that they leave renewed and regenerated and God, that as they continue on their path of sanctification, that God, you, you are, are there with them. God, I just pray that Logan preaches with humbleness and confidence and that he preaches with the words that you have laid on his heart. God, we love you and we praise you. Let me pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for having me this morning. Um, it's honestly an honor to get to be here and preach to you guys. Uh, I, Pastor Will has been a mentor to me for the last few years, and so it's, it's honestly just great to get to stand in front of his people and uh, get to preach through the gospel. So today we're going to be studying through Esther 4. So let's just take a minute here and go back through the first three chapters and see you know, what's going on. So in chapter 1, we have this great, powerful, drunk King Xerxes, or 
Asuerus, which uh, is more not widely known as King Xerxes, but he's been partying for days and he wants everybody just to know how great he is. You know, he calls his wife to come down and show her beauty to all the men so that they can, you know, lustfully gaze upon her. And she absolutely refuses. So the king, out of anger, gets rid of Vashti. He's afraid that since she rebelled against him, that all the women are going to rebel against their husbands. So he sends out this decree and uh, that all the women must respect and honor their husbands. So that's chapter one. Chapter two... The, the king's just gotten rid of his wife, so he's, you know, he's alone in his castle. And his buddies are like, all right, man, we got we to gotta find you a new wife. So let's go round up a bunch of young virgins and bring them down here, and you can uh, pick which one you like the most. So that's where we meet Esther. Esther and Mordecai are two Jews living out of the dispersion of Babylon. And uh, Esther is picked to be in the, you know, the king's version of The Bachelor. So... Mordecai instructs her, you've been picked, but make sure nobody knows that you're a Jew. That way you have a real chance at winning this thing. Make sure nobody knows that you are a Jew. So after a year, Esther is picked to be the king's wife. In chapter three, we are introduced to Haman, which is the, new king, the king's new right-hand man. And it was commanded that everyone at the king's gate would bow down to Haman, but Mordecai absolutely refuses to bow down because he was Jewish. If, that's kind of a complicated thing, so if, you're, if you were wondering about that, ask Pastor Jeremy. He did an absolutely amazing job explaining that last week. It's kind of this um, thing through heritage as to why Mordecai won't lay down. So Haman, out of anger, makes this, he's out to kill Mordecai, so he makes this plan that He's going to destroy all of God's people, and he's going, essentially what happens is he's going to kill the Jews and then pay back a tax to the king. So the king sees dollar signs and signs the decree. So at the end of chapter 3, we have this ominous scene of Haman and the king sitting down you know, with whiskey in hand while the Jewish families are getting ready to die. You know, they're cuddled up in their homes saying, you know, this might be our last meal together. And while the king is just sitting, enjoying life. We're left in this anticipation of what is to come, worried about the future. I've never been in a situation where I think I'm going to die. Actually, my wife is pregnant, so that's like almost an everyday thing for me. But I'm in a situation, but I don't... When I'm in a situation where I don't clearly know the outcome, I have, no comp- I have no patience, and I just completely break down. I struggle to truly just take a step back, reflect on what is going on, and turn to the one true Savior in the midst of my confusion. So we're going to see how two seemingly complacent Jews deal with the biggest, scariest moment of their lives. Up till this chapter, they've had seemingly zero care about their faith. Um, Mordecai, you know, let his stepdaughter marry this pagan king through a beauty contest. And the king has no idea that his wife is one of the people that he has declared to kill. The people we're learning about today are not the epitome of holiness. They are just regular, ordinary people who, like us, just go day to day, just living their life. And this is the first time in the entire book of Esther 
that we see them talk and communicate with their God. So the decree in chapter three, the decree went out that all of the Jew, genocide of the Jewish people. So I'm going to paraphrase here since uh, Pastor Patrick read through all of it. So essentially, obviously, the Jewish people are absolutely devastated with what happened. Mordecai and the other Jews put on sackcloth and ash and mourn what is going on. We see this happen quite a bit in the Old Testament. When something tragic happens or God is calling his people to repentance, we see them put on sackcloth and ash. Sackcloth is like this real coarse, uncomfortable material that is weaved together out of goat hair, and then they like pack in ashes on themselves in order to represent you know, the destruction and desolation of their hearts. This act shows both humility and authenticity. It shows that they're truly broken and in need of help. Not just help from you know, their community around them, but help from their God. To make this simple for you, putting on sackcloth and ash is showing an outward representation of their inward condition. So all the Jews join together in their pain. A lot of time in our life, our pain and suffering goes unnoticed. You know, we're too prideful to admit when we're not okay. We're too embarrassed when our marriages are going sideways, too anxious to show the imperfections in our life out of fear that people will think differently of us. Or like me, we strive to take control of the situation and deal with it on our own. But it's okay and normal to not be okay. God has given us a family to support us in our time of need. We don't need to hide our pain and suffering or keep it to ourselves. We need to bring our suffering to light. We don't just come here on Sundays to, you know, check a box and get into heaven. We are here to fight together, to mourn together, and to pray together. And I promise you that if you are hurting and in pain right now, the best thing you can do is first lay it in front of God and then invite your church family into your suffering to pray and be with you in it. So Mordecai is inside the king's gate, you know, absolutely devastated, in sackcloth and ash, and that is against the law. So Esther's thinking, man, what are you doing out here flailing around in the streets? Put on some clothes. So she sends him some clothes, but he refuses it because he's absolutely broken. Um, so she sends one of the eunuchs to ask him what's going on, and he says, all right, you know, the Jews are going to die. He explains the whole situation to her. So let's see how Esther replies to Mordecai's news in verses 10 through 11. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except for the one who the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king in these 30 days. So we see clearly that Esther is full of doubt and fear. She's saying, I don't think I can help you. Not only is this illegal, but I think self-doubt has started to settle in on Esther. So what she's essentially saying is, if I go to my husband, he will kill me. He hasn't spoken, me, spoken to me in a month, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Sorry, Mordecai, but I'm not your savior. I really kind of feel for Esther in this moment. I think it'd be really easy to just beat down on her and say, 
Well, Esther's just so selfish and so worried about her own wealth and prosperity. You know, she doesn't want to compromise her comfort by going to the king. But I don't think that's the case. Rather, I think these are the words of a broken-hearted woman who hasn't been cared for by her husband the way that she should have. She hasn't talked to him. She hasn't held his hand. She hasn't kissed him. She hasn't slept in the same bed or, you know, even had a conversation about how her day has been with him in over a month. She's starting to doubt whether her husband even loves her anymore. He's too busy drinking with his buddies and ruling a kingdom to care for his wife. Men, how are you loving your wife in here today? Are you too busy with work or your hobbies or your kids? They forget to show her how deeply she is truly loved. Your wife should always be able to share her pain and fear and needs with you without any fear of how you will react to them. As Christians, our marriages are just more than two people who like each other and live together. We are a representation of Christ's covenant relationship with his people. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus doesn't just passively pursue his own interest and neglect of his bride, or even stop pursuing her when she seems distant and uninterested. Instead, he draws close, assures her that, he, that she is loved, and bears her burdens. We as husbands need to be going out of our daily routines and doing something special for our wives. You know, bring her flowers, make her breakfast, go to a movie, just even pray together. And doing that, not only will you affirm your love and prioritization of her, but also you will be being obedient to the word of God and act of worship to him. You will be a representation to the entire world of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Also, in general leadership, that's a pretty bad rule. What kind of leader are you if your people can't come to you with their problems, if they are to die when they come to you? Our King Jesus is nothing like King Xerxes. We praise the God of the universe and we never have to be afraid to approach him. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence through the blood of Jesus. We can approach God with every need, with every want, with no fear, and he will always be near to us. King Xerxes says, come to me unannounced and I will give you death. But our God says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So Esther's absolutely terrified that she's going to die. She has no confidence in her husband. She has no confidence in herself. She's saying, I can't fix this situation, which brings us to verses 12 through 14. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any other Jew. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from some other place, but for you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So what Mordecai is saying here is there's a chance whether you go to the king or not, you're going to die. He says deliverance will rise from the, for the Jews. He isn't doubting that God has the ability to save his people. He knows of the Exodus of Moses. He knows that God has this ability. But remember, he hasn't helped the situation much up until now. He isn't the hero of the story by calling Esther to identify with the Jews. I'm sure Esther is not only scared, but she's also confused. 
She's saying, Mordecai, up until now, you told me not to even identify as a Jew, but now you're telling me to save everybody? What are you talking about? But now they have to realize that the jig is up and they have to come face to face with their reality. What he's saying to Esther is, are you willing to stand up for your conviction? Are you willing to stand up for the God of your people? Or are you going to sit by passively and let this play itself out whenever you have the ability to fight? I'll ask you the same question today. Are you willing to stand up and even die for your convictions? Living a life for Christ is being called into a life of martyrdom. You will be put into uncomfortable situations, you will be asked uncomfortable questions, and you will be hated and made fun of for what you believe. Jesus in Matthew 22 says, you will be hated for my name's sake, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. He doesn't say you might be hated. It's a promise. But I also want to remind you of Romans 8, 18, that says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We should live lives of outward faith because through Christ's death on the cross, he has purchased not only joy right here, right now, but he has purchased deep, truly satisfying, everlasting joy with him in eternity. That's worth it. God is better than being popular. He's better than being uncomfortable. And his purpose is worth dying for. We have nothing to be afraid of. Charles Spurgeon said this, Remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you were in, divine love would have put you there. Right now, you are in a situation because God's providence has placed you in it. Live in that truth Christian, today, right now on June 27th in Milton, West Virginia, are in a position to be impactful for God's glory. You're not waiting on something to happen. You're not waiting until you get to some future point in your life. God is at work in you right here, right now. So the chapter ends like this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I, my young woman, will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So we see Esther finally stepping in to obedience. She's finally laying down her fears, laying down her anxieties, and handing them over to God. This is not something that she can do in her own power. Through prayer and fasting, only can she do this. The one who created the universe is capable to save his people, and no situation is outside his power. The ongoing theme in this chapter is that we see people reacting to fear in their lives. Mordecai originally looks to Esther to save him. Esther looks to herself, says, I don't have the ability to do this, and then looks to God. I'll ask you this, in times of fear and need, where do you turn for rescue? Do you look to someone else to solve your problems? You know, blame them for what's going on and sit passively and hope 
that someone else will take care of the work? Or are you like me and you try to solve the problem by yourself, so you just frantically make decisions in order to try to solve the problem? I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert here. Esther does save her people by pleading with the king. And he spares all their lives because of the obedience that brought her to say, if I perish, I perish. But remember, Esther isn't the hero of this story. Everything in the Bible points to the one true hero, which is Jesus. And let's look to when he says a similar statement as Esther. On the night before his death, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is saying, if I perish, I perish. Jesus is a better savior than Esther. He with confidence goes for us and saves us, not just through convincing the king to let the Jews go free. Our sin is much too deep for that. It has to be paid for. Disobedience to the one truly great king will not be bypassed. But Jesus says, you don't have to kill them, kill me. I will die for them. I will take their place so that they can have you. Mordecai's daughter Esther goes to the king Xerxes for the deliverance of the Jews from the king. God's son dies in our place and delivers us, delivers us from the wrath of the one true king. Only Jesus has the power to save us from our sin and bring us into the family of God. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, God welcomes us into his kingdom with open arms, not based on our actions, but based on the righteousness of Jesus imparted to us by his death on the cross. Today, I plead with you, hand your life over to the unseen king in the book of Vesta, Jesus Christ, who, if you put your faith in him today, purchased your salvation and secured eternal joy for you with him forever. Thank you guys so much for having me today. And it's, like I said, an honor just to be up here and share the gospel with you. I'm going to pray. Um, God, thank you so much for your son. Thank you that he is the better Esther, that he dies in our place and goes to the king when we have no ability, we have no power. Thank you that he bears our sin. He bears our burdens. He, he takes our fear and allows us to be with you. Let us have no fear. Let us be able to stand confidently knowing that everything that we have is in purchase by the blood of Christ and whether we have riches or poverty, it doesn't matter because we have Jesus. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.